I think you can all sit down again. What about our bishop, hey? Is this awesome? Oh my gosh. Yeah, let's hear it again. Well guys, uh, I'm Matt Palmer. I'm blessed to be on the board of Catholic Men's Ministry and uh, on the planning team for the conference today and to kind of serve as an MC of sorts. Uh, again, thank you for being here. And we thought we'd just take a few extra minutes to kind of dive a little deeper into some of the things that Bishop has shared. Um, but I want to start by just asking you, you've been on the job as our bishop for about eight months since June. Yep. And um, how's it going? You know, I'm very busy. Uh, I'm very busy because I'm trying to go out and visit all the parishes. I put almost 20,000 miles on my car now, driving around to the different parishes, visiting them, doing confirmations, getting out and about. Uh, it's, it's very busy because we've got a lot of decisions to make about real presence, real future. Fortunately, I don't have to make those decisions alone. You know, but uh, I'm just getting kind of the lay of the land and seeing what are the needs? What are the needs of the people of the diocese? You know, uh, what are the needs of our college students? And what are they facing and the challenges they're facing? Going into some of the high schools and saying mass there and seeing the enthusiasm of our young people. Uh, going to the prisons and seeing how they're men of faith who have been converted while in prison and seeing so many good people being out there with them and for them. I'm seeing how hard our priests are working, but how hard they have to work because we don't have enough priests. I'm seeing people who are worried, will my parish be merged with another? Will it, be, will it close? I, I'm also seeing the generosity, not only of our diocesan priests, but of many of the religious priests and international priests who come here as missionaries. But what I'm realizing is that the Diocese of Columbus is, in fact, missionary territory, right? Most of our diocese isn't actually in the city of Columbus. It's mostly small and rural where the Catholic presence is not much. You know, Delaware County and Franklin County have some Catholic presence, but the rest, not so much. So there's a great need for evangelization. But even in the city of Columbus, you know, we, we experience the effects of secularization. So how do we get our message out there? How do we uh, use the new media for the new evangelization? So I'm getting to know all those sorts of things, but I'm also trying to get to know the people. There's an awful lot of people to get to know. Uh, and so in a parish, you're with the same people every day. And as a bishop, you're there, um, you're there kind of... Uh, uh, getting to know one parish at a time. And so at, at times there's, there are periods of isolation, but at times there are also periods where, like, I'm not at all in this, in this forum isolated. Uh, so it's, it's great. I, everyone has been so welcoming and hospitable. It makes the mission uh, a little bit uh, easier. And at the same time, um, during these eight months, there's been a lot of graces outpoured upon me and I, I would think upon our diocese. We see it in the fruits, I think, of Father Han's work already with, with fostering vocations. I was at the Ohio State Newman Center. Well, I was at the Union, uh, Ohio State Student Union on Ash Wednesday, and there were 750 kids there for a 545 Mass. And Father Streitenberger tells me there were another 650 at the Newman Center for an 8 p.m. Mass. He had more than 2,000 people there. So great things are going to happen there. That's some of the early fruit. And at the same time, there have been many other personal challenges, uh, some of the media attacks early on uh, when the decision was made um, to, to, to make a change there. Uh, some fair criticism, some not fair criticism, but you have to endure it all. Then, uh, you know, my best friend from college, uh, unfortunately, she died of cancer uh, at the end of July. Uh, in October, 
Uh, there was the loss of my mother. And so all these things happen, and yet, uh, so you have to acknowledge them in your own humanity, and at the same time, um, have to say, okay, but God has called me to this task, to this mission. There are going to be challenges, there are going to be uh, setbacks, but we, the challenges don't go away. But we confront them differently because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so my first experience in the Diocese of Columbus has, has been great. Uh, Father David Schalk, um, you know, is doing yeoman's work uh, here in the diocese as a vicar for Hispanic ministry. That has actually been something that's very life-giving. One out of every seven persons going to Mass on Sunday in the Diocese of Columbus is Spanish-speaking. That's incredible. The whole west side of Columbus is now uh, changing over, but even up in Tuscarawas County, uh, up in Marion, you have large groups of Spanish speakers. And when I go to say Mass in some of these parishes, I went to uh, Holy Name Santa Cruz for the feast of uh, Nuestra Señora de la Alta Gracia in January. The whole church was packed. People were standing. It was standing room only. And I, Father Antonio Carvalho, the sacristan, and I were the three oldest people there. So these are young families who need to be welcomed. And I see many people in our diocese welcoming them. Or I'll go up to, um, I have been to St. Patrick's or St. John Neumann, and I've done some things for homeschoolers, right? And, and huge crowds of people. So I see the great potential that is here in the Diocese of Columbus. And as I said, it's the state capital, right? So there's a lot of things that happen with politics and with business. And so we have a great opportunity to evangelize our politicians, to evangelize our political and business leaders, to help us accomplish uh, the work of evangelization and the building of the kingdom of God, whether it's helping the poor through Catholic social services and Catholic charities, or through our, our parishes, or whether it's building the culture of life, uh, here, uh, you know, to know that we have a very pro-life governor and secretary of state and so on, that is very helpful and to, to work some of those relationships in order to help build a civilization of love, to reform some of our Catholic schools and Catholic education, that also gives us great hope. And then to start thinking about the future. Look, if every, all this growth happens here in the Diocese of Columbus, uh, with Intel and the New Albany, Johnstown, that area, going out toward Newark and Granville, do we have churches in the right places? Do we have schools in the right places? How do we best utilize our resources? I don't have all the answers, but what I am edified about is that there are laymen and women in our diocese who do have knowledge, who do have expertise, and who are generous in offering it. So I'm looking forward to collaborating, right? Bishops, um, priests get to retire at age 70. Uh, and bishops, we don't get to retire till we're 75. I think I got 25 years more here in Columbus. And at the end of that 25 years. <laughs> yeah, we, we pray that we keep you for 25 years. Yeah. But, at, but at the end of that 25 years, I'm hoping that the Diocese of Columbus will be strong and growing and vibrant, much, much better, even, even though it's great today, much greater and the presence of Christ and the kingdom will be more in people's midst uh, each and every day. The first time I heard Bishop speak was at the Catholic Foundation, and he got up, he was new, he was just been with us a few weeks, and he said something that really struck me. He kind of basically, I'm paraphrasing you, Bishop, but you said, if, if all of you think that I am going to preside over a declining church, you've, you've got it wrong. Um, and he talked about uh, recovering our lapsed, yeah. He talked about recovering our lapsed brothers and sisters in the church, but also even reaching out beyond. 
evangelization, which I want to uh, come to right now. Obviously, you're, you said that day that you want to be evangelizing people of other faith traditions, our Protestant brothers and sisters. You want the gospel of Christ spread beyond the church and those who are lapsed and on into the rest of the community. Right. So, so the Pope is constantly talking about avoiding being a self-referential church. He wants us to be a, cho- a church that goes forth, that goes forth to the spiritual and existential peripheries. You know, we have this, the, you know, the, so when we go forth to the, the peripheries, we sometimes think immediately about the poor and the marginalized. But Mother Teresa of Calcutta would also talk about the spiritual poverty of loneliness. We have a lot of material wealth and a lot of loneliness. And so what does faith offer? We could say, well, we could focus on what we have and maintaining what we have. But the Pope calls us to move from maintenance to mission to go out. So we have the mission ad intra within the church itself to, event, to, to deepen our own faith, to bring back Catholics who have lapsed, to fallen away from the church, to bring that, help them to experience God's mercy again. But what about those who have never known about Christ? Do we ever tell them about what Jesus has done for our life? There's a difference between proselytization and attraction. Sometimes if we live our faith and we're convicted by our faith, well, then we're smiling, we're joy-filled, and that's what uh, evangelizes. St. Francis of Sales says you get more with a, a teaspoon of honey than a barrel full of vinegar. People are always asking me, well, Bishop, why are you smiling all the time? It's the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. It's the joy of knowing Him, and then sometimes you're smiling and things are going well in your life, and people are like, what does that guy have that I don't have? It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship with the church. It's, it's living a sacramental life. That brings us joy. Why, why is my life collapsing and this guy, things seemingly go well for him? Or sometimes things don't go so well for us, right? We experience the cross. We experience loss, calamity, suffering, all right? That's not going to go away, but the way we understand it, the way we confront it, is different because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not easy to lose one's mother. But I told the Catholic women last week, you know what, 10 days before my mother died, my brothers and I went up there. She was clear-minded that day. She had been suffering from Parkinson's and a little bit of dementia, and uh, she was clear-minded. And I was able to anoint her, give her absolution, the apostolic pardon, viaticum. Uh, and then we, we knelt and we prayed to rosary. And 10 days later, she died, fortified by the sacraments of the church. We're at peace knowing she's at peace. But how was it that she was able to confront suffering? And even she had lost my father three, three and a half years earlier because she had faith. And faith helps give meaning to our life. We have so many experiences, but do we ever ask, what does this experience mean? What is God trying to teach me through this suffering or through this loss or through this experience of joy? How is He present even in this moment? And so, uh, so I think that's, that's one of the things I think about evangelization is we go forth, we're a church that goes forth. The Pope uses this word in Spanish, primeriar, that is, we're a church that seizes the initiative. We don't just wait for people to come to us and try to maintain our church buildings and our schools. We go out to, pe- to them. He also uses another term, balconear. And he uses this term, balconear, to describe like uh, Argentine women who stand on the balcony and they look out and they see all the problems and they start gossiping one to another about what everybody else is doing in the neighborhood, but they never lift a finger to do anything about it. 
And he says Jesus is the opposite sort of person. Jesus gets engaged in the lives of the, his members, his disciples. He bends down and washes their feet. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. And so this is how, what the Pope really means when he's talking about evangelization. And everybody needs the good news of salvation. And so we have to be a church that goes forth that's concerned more about mission than maintenance, a church that seizes the initiative, and a church that is engaged in the lives of its members, and ultimately that is patient with the weaknesses of others. We might not bring everyone, we might not have immediate success. You know, Peter, he preached his first sermon on Pentecost Sunday and 5,000 were converted. Well, that might not happen every time. Okay. But we have to be much more like the farmer that every day tills the soil that has to distinguish between weeds and wheat, and eventually you reap the harvest, and the fruit of that harvest ultimately is joy. For us as Christians, no one wants to be a grumpy Christian. No one wants to be a Christian, as the Pope phrases it, for, for whom there is Lent without an Easter. No, we, we want to be joy-filled Christians, and, the, and the, the sacrament of our joy is really the Eucharist, which is a nuptial joy. The bride, Christ is the bridegroom, and the church is the bride. And so the joy of a bride to receive her bridegroom, that should be our joy. And so we have to be about this mission of evangelization. Amen. We took some questions from some of you, and one of them ties to that. Uh, one of our guys out here was concerned about how many people seem to be leaving the church for the mega churches, evangelical churches. And I think you've just answered it. Um, joy and the Eucharist is what we need to be living in our lives, and that will be so attractive that we can, we can bring people back to the Catholic church where well, the fullness of faith. I also think we need to understand the reasons why people live. They say that of Catholics who are age 30, baptized Catholics age 30, 50% no longer practice any religion by age 13. So at a younger and younger age, people are, um, are falling away. But why? Well, if your parents aren't bringing you to Mass, then they're obviously not convicted by the faith and by the joy of the Eucharist, right? And so it's a Eucharistic faith. Why is it, though, that people are attracted to sometimes these megachurches? Well, because there is an evangelical spirit. You listen to them preaching, and they're preaching the Word of God, and they believe, and they're convicted by the Word of God. But I wonder if we are. I mean, are we? Do we when, when was the last time you heard a sermon or a homily that was preached with utter conviction, that made you actually change your life? How many times we're just going through the motions? We have the liturgy. The liturgy is beautiful. But what about life after Sunday? Yeah. How are we convicted day after day after day? This is where our faith can be something deeply personal, but we're called to give some public witness to that faith. You know, living a life of integrity also goes a long way. Many people say, well, I don't, I'm not a Christian. Look, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Am I a person of integrity like Jesus? Do I practice what I preach? When Jesus says, you know, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. He practices what he preaches. He turned the other cheek when the soldiers were striking him. He, when he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. This was his way, but his way is our way. And so we really have to say, okay, well, why are people drawn to that, right? And at the same time, how can we more, be more drawn to our own faith? And part of that means knowing our faith, 
right? We have to be committed to studying our faith and the tenets of our faith. You know, Father Mike Schmitz, he's got the, the catechism in a day, mm-hmm. the podcast. Well, one minute a day. Give yourself over to that, you know, just a few minutes a day each day. Uh, and, and it can make a huge difference in terms of your knowledge and your ability to defend the Catholic faith. So we need to have a knowledge of our faith. And I think, unfortunately, when I was a kid, we got nothing in Catholic schools. The answer to everything was love. And uh, my father and mother were very attentive and catechized us as well at home. Uh, but I think about how many of my friends now are parents, even getting to be grandparents, some of them, and their kids have questions and they don't have the ability or the tools to answer them. So we have to know our faith, the fides qua, but we also need to have the fides qua, the active faith, putting our faith into action through volunteering in our parishes and in, in helping the, the poor and the underprivileged and pro-life things, and to be able to witness to it. You know, Peter Range is going to be here from uh, Ohio Right to Life to talk later on just for a few minutes about this ballot initiative where they want to make, you know, abortion, in, put abortion into our Constitution, and every man here has to say, you know what, I want to be pro-life. I want to defend life. I want to defend my children even in the womb, and so I'm going to take a stand and I'm going to lead in my family. Right? We can't just be quiet and passive about this. But if you ask me, why did I take my faith as I saw my parents model it? You know, like it, it, Lent was very severe for us as kids, and I remember going to bed one night, and, you know, we never ate meat much in, at all in Lent, really. My mother was a good Indian cook, so we had a lot of vegetarian dishes. But I remember once going to bed, and I couldn't sleep, and I woke up late, and I tried, and my parents were eating their supper, and I remember my father going over to the refri- go, going over to the refrigerator and pulling out two eggs and putting them on the scale. And the smaller one he took for his supper and the larger one he gave to my mother for her supper. So it was that fasting was something real for them. They were utterly convicted about it. I would go to the hospital to see my dad. He was a physician. And he was there in the chapel praying. My mother, too, said her prayer. So this was, and would get teary-eyed when she would pray. So this was something very real that I saw modeled to me. They were willing to risk something uh, for, their, for their children, even their own livelihood. And so uh, that is what really kind of kept me and my brothers uh, in the faith was the witness of our parents as well as the, the, the head knowledge. And we, we never thought about missing Mass. I mean, I think I missed Mass three times in my lifetime. In 1975, I was in India. I got the chicken pox. In 1988, I was in India. I got the measles. And then once I was living in England, it was 16 miles to the nearest Catholic church on foot, so I couldn't go. Those are the three times in my... The Eucharist for me was everything. Uh, And so, because when I was a child and being a son of immigrants, I always thought, in, in being a small child... I thought, Lord, do you love me as much as the rich kids because we were poor? Do you love me as much as the white kids because my skin was brown? Do you love me as much as those who are good-looking and athletic because I had no athletic talent whatsoever? And the answer to all that was answered on my first communion day. Yes, absolutely. And it was that absolute love of Jesus in the Eucharist that to this day made me want to be a priest. I think about all the experiences I've had in my life, the family which I had, and I think about the psalm. What thanks shall I render unto the Lord for all the good things he has rendered unto me? I shall take the, I shall take the chalice of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. Brothers, I think, yeah.
We're going to have to end this part. We will hear from our bishop later. He will be our celebrant and homilist. Um, bishop, I want you to know on behalf of all of your brothers out here that we are praying for you. We love you in Christ. We are inspired by your leadership and your joy. And you have 2,000 foot soldiers for Jesus at your disposal. We are here to help you carry out this great vision of vocations and evangelization for this diocese and to bring Christ to this diocese. You know, and then let me just say thank you to all you men. Thank you for your vocations. And, you know, we're going to go out there and we're going to preach the gospel and the kingdom of the evil one will be in retreat and we will proclaim boldly, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. God bless Amen. you all. Amen. Stay right here. <laughs>